We are in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open to John chapter 9. We've been in John since September. We'll continue to go through John uh, here through the the middle end part of June. So just about another month or so. Uh, And then we're going to be spending some time in the Psalms this summer. And we're going to be in John chapter 9. And I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of handing it off to my good friend and fellow elder, Pastor Doug Freiberg today. So yeah. So yeah, <laughs> man, they never cheer for me like that when I'm preaching. <laughs> My goodness. So before he completely takes over and, and, and starts going, I'm going to invite Miss Renee to come. She's going to do our scripture reading for today from John chapter 9, and then I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Doug. It's all right there if you want to go ahead. Uh, no, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. I, I have the opportunity often. So uh, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's word. Good morning. This is the word of God. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Thank you to the band. Great worship, don't you think? Yeah, I uh, really appreciate the worship we have here. Man, alive. So we're going to put a movie. We got popcorn out in the lobby. And, well, I'm going to get going, you guys. You guys can't see me, so... That's right. Well, we're back. And when I say we, I mean all three of us. It's me, my faithful companion, Bubba, and my laptop. This is my security blanket, you guys. I I don't think I could be up here without doing it this way. It worked last year. Um, So this is my second annual Memorial Weekend sermon. So quite a blistering pace. I'm on pace to do, you know, who knows how many here. We'll see if there's a third. That This might be my last. So I was joking with Pastor Aaron earlier the other day, and I was saying, you know, we should probably put some training wheels on the pulpit here. That would be appropriate for me. Because you see, um, preaching here today really stretches me. I mean, it really stretches me. Ask my wife. Um, but I have re- received so much support from so many people in this room, Some, so many friends and family, and now I can't see any of you, so. <laughs> but I really appreciate your love and your care for me. I, I do want to thank the elder team for their support, trust, and guidance. Um, truly, it's an it's a honor to serve with these men. I I'm really a- appreciate them so much. So I got to get a few thanks out of the way here. I want to thank my wife because she puts up with my all-nighters. She drives six hours from Idaho at four o'clock in the morning so I can work on my sermon. And my mom and dad who are here today, hi mom, uh, 
supporting me as they always have. Um, God has shown me incredible favor through my family's love and support. Even helping to lead me into my faith. Ah, yeah, you guys, I'm kind of a sap. It it just happens. So uh, hopefully I'll hold it together. You guys, any helpful insight or understanding you receive from this sermon, truly give thanks to God because I'm up here because of God's grace, God's favor. And what, what I'm sharing with you is what's, I hope, is what he's taught me. And anything of value, it would just be an answer to my prayers. And if you have any questions, comments, or complaints about my sermon, you know the drill. My email is at? Nope, it's Aaron at ShalomCityBibleChurch.com. That line never gets old, does it? Okay, before we begin, begin, I want to ask God's favor. I'll put Bubba down. There we go. I want to ask God's favor on this time we spend together. As I pray, I would deeply appreciate your continued prayers for me. Father, um, I come to you as one of your children. I'm so thankful that I'm your child. And I come in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your provision and for bringing us together today. Father, I humbly ask that you would lead us and guide us today. And Lord, I need your help that I would faithfully present your word. That you would be honored. That we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, we may have life in his name. Draw us near to you, for we tend to wander. Fill us with your spirit. Use this time and these words to change hearts and minds. That we may become the men and women that you've created us to be. Father, when Jesus was walking this earth... He took the meager offerings of young boy. This boy only had a few fishes and loaves, but, but you fed 5,000 with an abundance of leftovers. So I come now asking that you would take my meager offering today and abundantly feed each one of us with your word for your glory and our good. May we be people who would not only hear the word, but we would also let it direct our lives, that we might believe in it. You alone are worthy of glory. May you be honored and glorified in us today. Amen. (sighs) To get going, I'm kind of curious. How many of you like the challenge and complexity of solving puzzles? You know, like those horseshoe things, those wire things that you got to untangle and all that sort of thing, or maybe a Rubik's Cube. I mean, you guys, some of you guys like that? Yeah, yeah. Not me. So one Christmas when I was a kid, probably my mom put in my stocking a Rubik's Cube. All the colors were lined up perfectly, nice and orderly, and just the way I like it. Um, So as soon as I had a chance, I took some model airplane glue, and I glued it all together. It, It couldn't be changed. Why mess up a good thing? I like to address things one time and move on. These days, I find that I have more puzzles and more challenges in my life, the complexity of my life, more than I often want. Um, Things I struggle to figure out, much like a puzzle. Why would I want to add more? But I'm convicted of that a little bit because I keep tending to add things to my life and complexity, right, honey? Um, Maybe next year's sermon, so. I truly believe I am a simple man, um, with a not-so-simple life and many challenges and complexities. 
We are so fortunate to have great Bible teaching at Sound City by seminary-trained pastors, but I'm not a theologian. I, I'm not, I do not have my Master's of Divinity, and I'm not working on my PhD. I'm not a great orator, as you'll see. But I trust God has called me here today to share what he, is, what he has given me, my few fishes and loaves. My desire is to be obedient with God and offer those few fishes and loaves. I won't go into it, but for those of you who are familiar with the parable of the talent, I don't want to bury even the meager talents he has given me. Even these simple understandings that have come with walking with the Lord for almost 47 years and asking for wisdom countless times, I want to be a good steward of what he has given me. In the account that we're looking at today, I want to focus on the idea of simple belief. Fits me. In this passage, we have the continuing saga of a man who was healed of his blindness by Jesus. We will see this man respond with simple faith, faith and trust in Jesus. Now, many sermons start with the big idea. Today, I'm going to start with the big question, one I've asked myself many times. Ready? What would it look like if we simply believed God? What would it look like if I simply believed God? What if we took him at his word, you might say? Has that ever crossed your mind? Well, it's time to get into the text. So we're going to recap from last week real quickly here. If you want to follow along, we'll be looking at John chapter 9. Forgive me as I can't help but see this as a movie scene or, or a TV show. So we're going to start with the credits. Our cast includes the man, an unnamed blind man whose sight has been restored. Then we have the Pharisees. These are the Jewish religious and political leaders of the day and the parents of the man born blind. Each of these directly or indirectly, each of them have been asked the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? And then we have Jesus, the Son of Man, who healed the man born blind. From last week's episode, the disciples were walking with Jesus when they saw a man who was born blind. The disciples want to know why God would have punished this man with blindness. Did, did he commit a terrible sin, or were his parents sinners? Jesus says that neither is the case. This man was born blind so that God's good works could be shown. With this, Jesus spits on the ground and mixes the dirt with his saliva to make mud. So he spreads it on the man's eyes and sends the man to a pool to wash out the mud. When the man washes his eyes, his sight is restored. The man's neighbors ask him, what happened? He explains what Jesus did. When they hear about this, the neighbors demand to see Jesus. But the man, doesn't, excuse me, the man doesn't know where he is. So the neighbors drag him in front of the religious authorities. And that is where we ended last week. Continuing this story, let's look at the controversy surrounding the healing. So we pick up a chapter, uh, verse 13 with the man and the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received his sight? 
And he said to them, he, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I, I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. Verse 14 tells us it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. This is not the first time that Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath. He actually did six other miracles on the Sabbath. The majority of these were condemned by Jewish leaders. And then in verse 16, the Pharisees condemned Jesus for his actions, stating, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Jesus was hated and persecuted for openly opposing the traditions of the Pharisees. David Guzik, a pastor out of Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, sees it this way. Jesus took the initiative in this miracle and could have done it on any day he chose. Then why did Jesus do this miracle on the Sabbath? Guzik goes on, Jesus did this to challenge the petty traditions of the religious leaders, traditions that they elevated to the place of binding laws. To the Pharisees, Jesus could not be from God because he did not line up with their traditions and prejudices. So Guzik is saying Jesus healed on the Sabbath intentionally to challenge their traditions, beliefs passed down through the generations, to challenge their prejudices. Their preconceived opinions. Traditions and prejudices they enforced on God's people as law. The tradition was added to the law and had come to be seen just as authoritative as the actual words of Scripture. Now, the, the Sabbath is important to God, but it had been distorted by the Jewish leaders. Rather than a gift, from God, the Pharisees had made it a burden where you couldn't even heal on the Sabbath. Here I see that Jesus was drawing a line in the sand, challenging them and saying, enough is enough. We see man's approach to, this, to the Sabbath versus God's. But really, more than the Sabbath, we see man's traditions versus God's truth. The Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus and persecuted him because they followed their own traditions rather than God's word. Now, it might be easy for me, for us, to judge the Pharisees. But if we're honest, we are often influenced by our traditions or perhaps our opinions and not simply believing, trusting in God's truth. So where in our lives is Jesus calling us to trust him instead of adding our misguided beliefs and opinions? What have we added to God's law? Where is Jesus challenging us to simply believe in his truths? Where do I, where do you make choices, decisions? Where do we have thoughts or even judge God based on our own understanding and not God's truth? How often 
do we continue to try to earn God's favor by doing when the work was done after Jesus died on the cross? And he calls us to rest in him, to enjoy him, because we are his children. Our beliefs must be grounded in God's truth, found in God's word. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The word from Psalm 119, the word of God is the way of happiness in verses 1 and 2. The way to avoid shame in verse 6. The way of safety in verse 9. And the way of good counsel in verse 24. You can look those up. The word gives us strength in verse 28. And hope in verse 43. It provides wisdom. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. And shows us the way we should go in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What happens if we don't follow and trust God's word? We will find ourselves at odds with God. Life becomes more complex, more of a puzzle. At the beginning, I asked the question, what would it look like if we simply believe God? My first point is that simple belief is grounded in the truth of God's word not in our opinions. We are not called to judge the Bible. Rather, we are to allow the Bible to judge us. Moving on, let's see what happens next, starting in verse 18. I'll call it scene two, the Pharisees and the parents. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We, we know that our son, and that we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees? We do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, the parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Now here, the parents are in a dire situation. The fear is if they show any support for Jesus, that they'll be excommunicated, cast out of the synagogue and their community. This is a real fear, a very big deal. Quoting an online source, to be put out of the synagogue was a very grave issue. People sought to avoid excommunication because to be excommunicated meant that you were outside the community and without contact with God's people. The life of that day of the Jews. Furthermore, because it involved exclusion from the Jewish sacred assemblies, it automatically entailed a a loss of access to the ritual sacrifices associated with divine forgiveness and accepted. So the parents would not speak for fear of the consequences. Forgiveness by God itself. 
though rarely this dire, don't we sometimes find ourselves in a similar situation, fearing man more than God? Caving in to the opinions of man, peer pressure as we were trying to, to fit in with the crowd. Like when Peter denied Jesus, we fear our friends may excommunicate us. How many times do you find yourselves, ourselves, too timid to share our faith in Christ because others might think we're an irrational fool? Or maybe it's not about sharing your faith. Do you ever feel that you might be exposed as an imposter, a poser? Guys, I, fig- I struggle with that, being up here today. This is hard for me. But just because it is hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I have often learned most anything worthwhile is hard. I confess today, I want your approval. I fear failing. I feel I am often not good enough at what I do. Friends, I have a very high regard for the elder team I serve with. Men with keen minds and have much to contribute. People expect a pastor to be able to readily quote scripture, provide insights and and answers or, or guidance, navigation through life's challenges. I'll be 60 in about a week. Now, that's not really old these days, is it? My parents are 90 and 86. I hope to do as good as they are. But in about a week, I'll be 60. Truly, my mind, my cognitive abilities have declined significantly over the last few years. It's fearful. Maybe a few years ago, I had 10 fishes and loaves. I feel like I'm down to about five. And it's, it's going down. That's why I got my security blanket here, you guys. <laughs> I fear failing here as a pastor, as a husband, a father, a grandfather, a son, and a brother, and at work as a business owner. But Psalm 27.1 tells me, and I need to believe this, the Lord is is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is hard. Life is hard. But whom will I trust? Whom will I fear? Much more could be said about fear. And there's a book by Ed Welsh that I was encouraged to read that I haven't finished yet. Got a lot of books I haven't finished yet. I don't know about you guys. But it's called When People Are Big and God is Small. If that interests you, um, I'm told that we'll put a link up on the website. So... The Bible says much about fearing God and fearing man. Psalm 25 says it well. Verse, starting in verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. If we really believed, 
if we really believe that God confides in the people who fear him, we won't be bothered by the fear of man. Let me know if you have that figured out, okay, guys? So what would it look like if we simply believe God? Number two, simple belief fears God more than man. I better get going here. There's a little clock over here. Our next scene involves the Pharisees and the man. Part two, starting at verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, okay, this is a great line, guys. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. The one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That would be a great hymn. Though I was blind, (laughs) now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open his eye, your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why would you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, you are his t- disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Man gets a little snappy here. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You are the religious leaders. This man is doing miracles, and you do not know who he is. The man continues, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. If logic doesn't work, just insult him and throw him out. Don't you find it interesting that this is all about a blind man who can now see, yet those who see are blind to what happened. Anyway, as they interrogate the man once again, we see the frustration. And when provoked, he answers in verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What Jesus has done in his life is his only answer. Pretty simple. From David Guzik's commentary, the man born blind doesn't know everything about Jesus. But he does know how Jesus touched his life. Can you relate to that? This is an irrefutable argument. How can they, how can anyone, argue against what Jesus did in this man's life? And how can anyone argue about what God has done in your life, in my life, in our life? Have you ever heard the adage, no one can take away your testimony? A testimony can be defined as a declaration of truth or fact. Our testimony about what Jesus has done for us 
No one can take that away from you. Guzik continues, relying on what we personally experience with Jesus is about the only way to deal with people who are so prejudiced. No one can effectively argue against, though I was blind, now I see. We can get caught up in all sorts of questions and theological deep waters, while sometimes the simplest answer is the best. Jesus and what he has done for us. How he has touched us. What would it look like if we simply believe God? Number three. Simple belief knows that Jesus changes lives. Amen? Yeah, we're not done yet, guys. You thought maybe we were. Okay, on to the final scene. Picking it up in verse 35, Jesus and the man. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Let me rephrase that. I don't like that way that came out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir? Then I might believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, the man responded, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster that this man has been on? His day starts like any other day, not really a good day, doing all he can, begging by the side of the road. A man stops, and with his spit makes mud. He rubs it on his eyes and tells him to wash in a pool of water. The blind man obeys. He obeys. For the first time in his life, he sees. Can we overstate how incredible this this would be for this man? He makes his way back to his neighborhood, seeing the world for the first time. People, buildings, trees, birds. Oops. He has no idea how this happened except that he was blind and now he sees. His neighbors seem to focus on trying to understand what happened instead of celebrating with him. And so they take him to the guys we would all want to party with, the Pharisees. Sound like a fun group of guys? After being interrogated twice, the Pharisees, they insult him and excommunicate him, making him wonder if his life with his people and his eternal destiny with God, his very forgiveness, is finished. The Pharisees throw him to the curb. This man is rejected. He's dazed and confused by the day's events. But Jesus, Jesus, our hero, upon hearing the man, was cast out of the synagogue. He pursues the man. You see, Jesus knows the hurt and rejection that we know. For he is not only the son of God, literally God's son, but he is also son of man, literally born of mankind. 
He is fully God and fully man. And he knows temptation. He knows poverty. He knows frustration. He knows weariness, disappointment, rejection, sorrow, ridicule, and loneliness. He knows that what we have all experienced at one time or another. Now, this is only my imagination. But I can see Jesus. He heard that this man was cast out by the ones who represent God. I can see Jesus searching the city for the man and finding him on the best and worst day of his life. Dejected and confused. I imagine him by the side of the road trying to make sense of this crazy day. I imagine Jesus gently leaning down and asking him, do you believe, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man wanting to believe, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And because of his newfound vision, Jesus can say, you have seen him, it is me. I can just imagine Jesus saying, thinking to himself, someday you'll be fully healed. Then the man bows down and worships him. I imagine this, confessing, hopeful and relieved. Lord, I believe. Jesus healed the broken man, his body first. Then Jesus pursued the man to heal his soul. Not all his problems in life were going to go away. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, not all of our life, not all of our problems are going to go away. And often we don't think Jesus pursues us because we think of him sometimes more like he's standing on a hill waiting for us to come to him. But remember, remember the story of the prodigal son My favorite part is when the son comes home and the father runs to him. God runs to us. God loves us. God loves you. It's sometimes so hard to believe, but not only does he love us, he wants to adopt us as his own child to give us a hope that things won't always be like this. That there will be a day when we will really see. We will look into the face of the Son of Man. I can't wait for that day, you guys. We will look into the face of the Son of Man who has pursued us. I love the phrase from a song I often sing over and over when I'm worshiping God in my car. So I do that in my car so you guys don't have to hear me sing right here. But those of you who sit around me know that I sing loud and proud and off-key. I'll sing this over and over. You're my friend and you are my brother, even though you are a king. I'm the king's brother. Didn't plan on this one. 
I'm the king's friend. If we don't think just Jesus pursues us, we're unlikely to respond. Like the blind man, we are broken, and Jesus pursues us and wants to restore our relationship with our heavenly Father and the brokenness that we all experience in our lives. What would it look like if we simply believe God? Number four. Simple belief responds to Jesus' pursuit. I need a drink here. Finally, Jesus expresses in verses 39 through 41 the irony of this all. That those who were blind to all that happened, those who see were blind to all that happened. Yet the man born blind was made to see and heal. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. When I first studied these last three verses, I saw them more like a condemnation. But as I read them over and over and over again, Jesus, my hero, loves these Pharisees, and I believe it is with a deep sadness that he says, your guilt remains. So if you guys are expecting me to explain this last part, I'm not going to. We could spend more time on this, but I want to let go of that for now and continue to focus on Jesus, just wrapping up with, with a few couple of questions. Otherwise, we'd have to delay for service, and I'm not prepared for that. So today, we started with a big question. What would it like if we simply believed God? So I could just leave it at that and let you guys figure it out, or I can just throw in a few things that, that, that I believe might help. How do we get this simple belief? Humbly recognize our brokenness and need for a savior, as the blind man did. One of the roadblocks to seeing our need is in living a life focused on our comfort. It's easy to do in this country. We're all very, very comfortable in many ways. Not all, I know that, but many are. Many times you had heard from this pulpit about the tendency in our lives to gravitate to the ditches in the road of life, one side or another. It's a helpful analogy in many things. We may find ourselves making choices, living our lives based on what makes us comfortable, whether you live in the city or the suburbs. The comfortable life can make it harder to see our need for Jesus in our salvation or our need for Jesus in the work he has for us to do as believers. We see the exhortation of Jesus in Revelation 3, 17 and 18. Jesus speaking, the the letters are in red, it's a good tip off. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I and I need nothing. It's a very scary state to be in. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire. That refining process, it takes away the dross and leaves the good stuff. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. We're still naked. We're just clothed in Christ's righteousness. Buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I didn't even get the connection to that until I read through it several times and already added it. So I want to share a story with you that happened about 30 years ago. It reminds me about the dangers of a comfortable life. Okay. I've been here the whole time. I'm going to walk away from my security blanket, the notes on my laptop, so that, so that I can see you guys a little bit better. So, i keep one hand here, right? Okay, you guys, I'm out. It's like walking on water. I'm looking at Jesus. I can see you guys all much better. So, a friend of mine, Linda and I were able to share the gospel with him. And I can't say his name because I always say his name in this story. We shared the gospel with him. He would come to church with us on Sundays. He would climb in the back seat with our two kids. Here's this, oh, what would he be? Uh, I don't know, 30 years ago. He'd be almost 30 years old with our five-year-old and eight-year-old, something like that. So it's like we had three kids, one real big one. I just loved it. We took him to church every Sunday. And then he said, hey, you guys go to class on Friday night. I, I'd really like to, I'm going to walk over here. I would, I'd like to go with you guys. They're having a new believers class. And, and I'd like to go with you guys. He said, that's fantastic. Fred, I'll throw out a name. It's not his. Um, so he comes to the class. He goes to the class. We come back to the car, and all three kids are in the back. And I said, well, how'd it go? And his eyes were huge. And he goes, it was crazy in there. He goes, there were people yelling at each other. There were pe- these people are really messed up, these new believers here. They're drug addicts and alcoholics, and they're yelling at each other. He goes, it's, it's crazy. And I said, Fred, those people are lucky. You see, we grew up in the mean streets of Ballard. And <laughs> you guys, back then, it was actually, the Times actually referred to it as the white ghetto one time. Um, in the mean streets of Ballard, it's not that anymore, is it? In the mean streets of Ballard, and we were in a very comfortable life. We weren't, we weren't wealthy, we weren't rich, we were very, very middle. And, but we had moms and dads who loved us. We had sisters and brothers who loved us. We were provided for. We were very comfortable. It would have been really easy not to see our need. The people in this class who are yelling at each other, they hit bottom. They saw their need. I shudder to think, had I gone through this life, not seen my need. Okay. okay. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Comfort makes it harder. This is easier. I like that, though. I like that. Comfort makes it harder to see our need for Jesus in salvation. And our need for Jesus in the work he asks us to do as believers. Not only do we need to recognize our need, but 
Simple belief comes by experiencing Jesus' pursuit, what he's done for us. That the Son of God became a man, Jesus the Messiah. He lived a sinless life so we could then take our punishment as a sacrifice on the cross in order to restore our relationship to, with him. Let me say that again. So he could then take our punishment as a sacrifice on the cross in order to, relate, to restore our relationship with him. To give us a future and a hope in a hopeless world and an eternity in his presence. Meditate on this. Never tire of appreciating God's redemptive act, the gospel, the good news. We need to see Jesus is pursuing us. Simple belief also comes by engaging your will. So what does that mean? Responding to Jesus. Accept his sacrifice for your sins. Know you are forgiven for every sin you ever committed, are committing, or will commit. You are forgiven. We need to study and learn the scriptures. Be obedient to what it tells us. I specifically challenge you, me, to believe God's word is true. Placing your trust in the scripture God has given us. You guys, this is, this is the, probably the most important thing that I really wanted to share with you today. Because it, it really made a difference in my life. Many years into believing, when I decided to believe that God's word is true. You guys know who Amy Grant is? Oh, yeah. So this is kind of corny. But God used her song, I Have Decided, to challenge me probably 30 plus years ago. A lot of things happened 30 plus years ago. I was convicted by the words. I was walking to work. I have decided I'm going to live like a believer. Turn my back on the deceiver. And this is the clincher. I'm going to live what I believe. I'm going to live what I believe. Listen, trust God's word is true. And it can answer every question and need that we have. Quoting Pastor John Corson, some Christians believe that God, some Christians believe what God says, and some don't. And at one time, that was my tendency. Even though I was a believer, I believe, help my unbelief. He goes on to say, those who don't find themselves engulfed in despair, defeat, discouragement. You see, it's not enough just to know the scriptures. It's not enough just to hear the word. It's not enough just to come to Bible study, to church. You and I must believe. And believe is not a noun. It's a verb. I'm not good at grammar. But I know that means some action. Another way to respond is to dwell on who God is. And do not judge God by what you see around you. Whatever I don't understand cannot contradict what I know is true about God. So I hold on to what I know is true about God when I can't understand. Out of love and appreciation for God, respond in worship, give thanks and praise. Invest your life in God's work. I'm challenged by author Walter A. Henriksen from his devotional Thoughts from a Diary of a Desperate Man. You can spend your life on any one of a number of things, most of which won't last. For example, you can not take them with you when you die. 
Thus God warns again and again not to do it. Do not invest your life in the temporal but the eternal. That's so easy to do. Where our time goes, where we spend our time. God urges Baruch, don't seek great things for yourself. Jesus said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. God makes you an incredible offer. You can give your life in exchange for the same thing for which Jesus spent his life. People. It was a revelation to me when I realized that the only thing that's going to last into eternity is relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with uh, each other. People last forever, continuing on. For good or bad, they are eternal. Spend your life helping them prepare for their eternity. Don't give your life to mediocrity. Life is too short and the issues of eternity too significant. If you seek what the world deems great things, you will pass into eternity a pauper. But if you freely spend your life for others, you will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. What would it look like if we simply believed God? At Sound City, we believe in progress and, direct and growth not perfection. Growth is not a destination. There is no arrival. It is a direction. Simply believing God brings hope in a hopeless world, joy in spite of circumstances, trust in a Father who loves us, greater obedience to the will of the Father, peace in the absence of understanding. Yet, we often take our eyes off Jesus, and like Peter walking on water, we begin to sink and need a Savior. When we feel hopeless due to circumstances in our life, we need a Savior. When we're discouraged and have no joy, we need a Savior. When we question God's love, we need a Savior. When we fail, giving in to the weakness of our flesh, we need a Savior. When we don't have peace because we don't understand, we need a Savior. There are many here at Sound City who are experiencing great medical challenges that have or may have dire consequences and death. But I am so inspired. If you know these people, try and talk to them. I am so inspired. They trust God, and many have expressed in God their hope of recovery is dashed Time after time, yet I paraphrase their sentiments. I trust that this is hard and not what I wanted. This setback, this obstacle, this hurdle, this death sentence is what is best for me. I have peace because we know that for those who love God, all things, not some, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his pur- purpose. To, to the believer, Jesus is asking today, do you believe in the Son of Man? And when we don't, be humble. Recognize our brokenness and need for a Savior. Consider and appreciate that Jesus gave his life for ours. Respond to his love with worship. Spending time with him in his word and in prayer. Investing in people around you that he loves. 
Now to the unbeliever. Jesus is asking today, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you see your brokenness, your need for a Savior? Do you see Jesus as pursuing you today? If you would like to trust Jesus as your Savior and Redeemer, please pray with me now. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son and that he died for my sins and you raised him to life. I want to invite him into my heart to take control of my life. In Jesus' name, we come and we pray. Amen. If you trusted Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, if you prayed just now, please share this news with someone. Share it with me. Share it with someone who's wearing a badge, a lanyard, or go to the Connect desk outside the doors, or even talk to anyone sitting around you. Simple belief is grounded in the truth of God's word, not our opinions. Simple belief fears God more than man. Simple belief knows that Jesus changed lives, responds to Jesus' pursuit. Thank you for coming today. And may we all simply believe. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your word is true and we can trust and believe in you. God, as we worship, I pray that it would be from a heart that just loves you more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Doug. So thankful that God receives us as we are. We even sang that a moment ago, just as I am. This, this blind man didn't pass some theological exam to get into the family of God. He responded to Jesus. And we're going to respond to Jesus now. And uh, we're going to respond in a few ways. The first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and of our offerings. And so I want to invite the financial stewards to collect the offering. If, if you want to give, uh, you can give here in service. You can give uh, online if you want as well. Uh, but we want to give not out of arm twisting or guilt or obligation. We want to give, those of us who do give, out of response to what God has given to us. Though once we were blind, now we can see. And so I invite you to give uh, cheerfully and joyfully as the scriptures call us to. It says God loves a cheerful giver. And while they're collecting the offering, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 because another way we're going to respond is through the celebration of the Lord's table. Uh, we practice an open table here. If you're a guest or a visitor, from another church, you're welcome to eat and to drink with us as long as you've placed your faith in Jesus. Here's what, here's what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, I've received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Today, we're going to eat and we're going to drink of this simple meal in simple faith. I don't know about you, but I don't have everything about God or life figured out. But we can know that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed that we might receive forgiveness. Amen? So it says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I simply know that Jesus died and rose again for me. 
There's an invitation to examine. It says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So what do we do? We examine ourselves. We allow God to search us. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm going to pray. I'll allow you to just take a moment in prayer to, to ask God, where, where do I need to simply believe you? Where do I need to respond to your pursuit? Where do I need to engage my will? And in a moment, we'll stand to our feet and we'll sing of the amazing grace of our Savior, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for pursuing us. When we were blind, when we were beggars, when we were orphans, when we were cast out, when we were rejected, you came and you sought us. Help us to deeply believe in you. Help us to deeply trust in you. Help us to simply respond to you as you call us. And as we go to the table now, and as we respond in worship and singing, I pray that our faith in you would deepen and our joy in you would be stronger. We worship and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.